wording in Arabic means the most revered one. And they believe that he is seated next to God in heaven. Unfortunately, there's some lost bits of information that has culturally and historically not been passed down. Muslims are encouraged in the Quran to actually seek out wisdom and information from Jews and Christians and from the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Gospels. Muslims respect and consider Jesus Christ to be one of Almighty God's greatest messengers to humankind. Why are Christians timid about building relationships with their Muslim neighbors? On today's Mid-South Viewpoint, we'll visit with Adam, former Green Beret Special Force operative who spent time in the Middle Eastern region. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ and has a passion to reach Muslims with the gospel. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. A four-day conference designed to help Christians learn how to engage Muslims with the gospel just wrapped up here in our area, and I think you attended. What were some of the highlights? There were a lot of highlights all weekend. The biggest has been just fellowship and getting to meet other like-minded people who have the same burden and the same heart for the lost that I've been given by the Father. This was an intense four days. It was pretty intense. So I I got on the road Thursday, and I've been in Memphis since then. So today's Tuesday. (laughs) I feel like it's been a little bit of a time vortex. But it's it's been very intense, but very uh, informative, encouraging, and educational. And I know your wife is excited for you to get home, be with those three children. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Adam, that's great. Hey, why did you want to become a Green Beret soldier? So I was I was about 17 years old in 2001. September 11th happened. I had a passion to serve the country immediately after that. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And more than anything, I wanted to defend the country, but also to uh, essentially get revenge on, on our nation's enemies. I, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what their culture was, their background anything about them, languages they spoke, religion. I just knew that they were bad people that needed to essentially be disciplined because they were doing the wrong thing against America. So keep in mind, 17 years old, this is my this is my perspective going into military service and then essentially immediately going to Iraq to serve in war. So you initially signed up for the Army? I did. I signed up for the Army. I was 17, turned 18 in basic training, and then went to Iraq immediately after that. Do you automatically start Green Beret training, or is that something that happens later? No, that's something that happens later. You have to try out and then be selected for that. So fast forward in my story a little bit. I've been to Iraq, and then I'd gone to Afghanistan, and really had wanted more and more to continue fighting. I mean, the the global war on terror had then, you know, been getting drug out into its 10th year and beyond at this point in time. And I felt that going into the special forces uh, would be a better opportunity for me to learn how to more easily fight the enemies of the nation. So I, I do that. And while, while I'm there, while I'm in special forces training, after a workout, there was a, another guy there that had asked me, uh, use very specifically the words, Adam, are you a follower of Jesus? And it kind of caught me off guard at that point in time. That was not something that I was familiar with hearing. I'm like, I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, I'd grown up in the church, you know, my entire life and knew, you know, a lot of Bible stories. 
biblical principles on how to live your life, how to be a good person, how to be a good man. Uh, knew about Jesus, knew who he was, knew all the answers. I, I could probably get a pretty good grade on a Sunday school lesson. But I would say I was failing to live my life after him and follow him, if that makes sense. So that caught me off guard, but it, it intrigued me when we began meeting and having coffee and lunch and, and asking these kinds of questions. I was very interested to hear more. So it was more of an invitation. Some people could hear that and maybe get hostile and just want to push back. I think I probably did push back a little bit. Yeah. But he kept lovingly pursuing me and asking me some of these hard questions until one time we were meeting for lunch and asked me the question. He said, Adam, if Jesus walked in the room right now and asked you for your life and you could hold things in your hand, would there be anything a part of your life that you would be unwilling to give him? And I knew that my career was a big one of those. I was unwilling to give him the success and the failure, the control that I had over my life through my career. And there were some other things as well. Uh, And I said, yeah, and I I told him that, but I want to learn how to surrender fully. I want to learn how to surrender my life fully to Jesus. And we began discussing what that looked like from that point on. Adam, you mentioned Iraq and Afghanistan. What did you learn about life, culture, and the people in this region of the world? I learned that there were a lot of differences. There were things that I didn't know about the people that I didn't learn until I got to the country. A lot about what we do in the military anymore. Uh, We were kind of learning it on the fly then, but now it's a normal part of, of joining the military that you know that you're going to work by, with, and through a local host nation military unit. And a lot of what that looks like is living with and, and training with that unit for periods of time and then doing life and, and mission together. Did it neutralize the way you looked at these people? Because you left on a mission of anger right. for how they attacked our country. Right. But then you're working shoulder to shoulder with them. Right. Yeah, there's actually an Arabic phrase, jana bijana, side by side or shoulder to shoulder. You learn little things like that. You're talking about one another's families together, sometimes in local language, sometimes through an interpreter, sometimes they speak English well enough. That was something small that I didn't even realize. A lot of people had a, a positive outlook towards the United States and us coming and trying to help in. And my mentality was when I first got there in 2001 was that Everybody hated us and wanted to kill Americans, and that simply just wasn't true. So your heart is stirred by this conversation with this fellow soldier about your relationship with Christ. So you're starting to dive in more. You're starting to maybe read God's Word, grow in your walk with Christ? Absolutely. He told me the best place to start is in one of the Gospels. And he started me, I believe, in the book of Mark, right? He told me, and if anybody out there is a a service man or woman, the infantryman's gospel is the book of Mark, right? It's the shortest one. You can read a couple chapters a day, finish it in a week, and get right to the meat of Jesus's life and how to live and follow his teachings. And that was really eye-opening for me. I had just thought, well, I should start it the first page of the Bible and start reading and typically get burned out somewhere in the very beginning at any other time that I tried to do that. You know, Adam, in contrast between what Muslims practice in faith and even what real Christianity, biblical faith looks like, is that we've been rescued from darkness. Right. And 
our life is dead, and we are identified with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and his life is lived out through us. That's right. That's what it is to be a Christian. Absolutely, yeah. And so you're in a place that is very religious. I mean, you're probably hearing the call to worship five times a day. Do you have encounters? Because as a Christ follower, you can see all of us around you. You can hear Muslims have their faith. The Jewish people have their faith. Other people have different religions and beliefs. So I've got mine. But there comes a time when you realize you have got to share the love and the passion that you have for Jesus as it grows in your life. You want others to know about it. You want others to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, that's been a journey. One of the first things that my friend had challenged me in is, have you ever shared your faith? And I was ashamed to say it. No, I haven't. Never shared my faith. Not with a friend, not with a family member, not with a coworker, never done it, been too afraid. And he said, well, maybe that's a good place, you know, because we had been discussing what prayer and what abiding in the word looked like. And my wife and I were reading the Bible together for the first time. He challenged me to share my faith, and the Lord very clearly told me to share with another soldier. At this point in time, the same culture, another guy that looks like me, and I didn't want to do it. You know, I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. But God made it very clear, this guy right here. It was after a run one morning in the dark <laughs> through the woods. <laughs> Nobody's feeling very good. I'm not saying that I came in very first in this run, but I came in probably still towards the back. But, you know, this guy might have come in a little bit behind me. And so we're all in kind of competition with one another. I'm like, I really don't want to do this. Everybody's breathing hard. And I go over and I said, this might sound pretty weird, but I think God wants me to pray for you. And he's like, yes, absolutely. You're right. He does. And Everything that could have gone right and should have gone right and sharing my faith did. This guy accepts Christ, gets baptized. While we're all in the course together, he's still following the Lord today. Really good friend of mine. So the Lord just affirmed me stepping out in faith, and that was sharing in my same culture. And growing up, I just learned that Christianity was right and everything else is wrong and learned some apologetics through my own reading and some teaching along the way. So this is the mentality that I'm kind of going in through cross-cultural and interfaith outreach. So a lot of my early interactions with people from different faith backgrounds was argumentative and unloving. And it was trying to prove them and show them the evidence and why that they are wrong and I'm right. And you can imagine it didn't go very well. Yes. I think that's a trap that we Christians often fall into. The bridge of having an opportunity to share our faith is broken Mm. because people can't respect us for that. That's where really the love of Christ comes through. What did you discover about some of the misunderstandings that Muslims have about our Christian faith? I think the very first misunderstanding, we have a lot, the misconceptions of what they believe And really, everything that I've learned up until this point about Islam were rumors, hearsay. Maybe I read an article on the Internet, right? We all know that you can believe everything right on the Internet. It's (laughs) a very trustworthy news source. Say that, of course, in jest, as I'm sure some of your listeners can understand. It's the same with them as well. I, I think number one was that most Muslims believe that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are three, or even even sometimes Mary, are the three or four gods that we worship in the Trinity, right? right? And just learning that 
and understanding why and how that can happen changes your paradigm and helps you approach, right, what like Jesus tells us to, blessed are the peacemakers. Peace isn't just the absence of fighting, but it's actually reconciliation and the restoration of the relationship and the situation surrounding. So learning some ways and how to do that. And I think the interaction with the Samaritan woman is a great example in John 4 and how Jesus does that. That is a great example, Adam. And as I opened the program today saying that Muslims consider Jesus Christ to be one of Almighty God's greatest messengers to humankind. That's a great starting point in a conversation, wouldn't it be? That's correct. And the wording in Arabic means the most revered one, and they believe that he is seated next to God in heaven. Unfortunately, there's some lost bits of information that has culturally and historically not been passed down. Muslims are encouraged in the Quran to actually seek out wisdom and information from Jews and Christians and from the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Gospels. In the Quran. In the Quran. In the Quran. In the Quran. That's correct. These are things that, unless we investigate as Christ followers, we're not going to know. Right. We are seeing an influx of Afghanistan refugees coming to the United States. Right. We have mosques being built in our neighborhoods. That's right. We're seeing more presence of Islamic belief around us. What an opportunity. That's right. So statistically, of course, Tennessee, English and Spanish are the top two spoken languages. Number three in the state of Tennessee is Arabic. Arabic, number three. I had no idea. Most people don't. I was on the island of Guam back in the mid-1990s when the Kurdish evacuees were being taken out of northern Iraq. I was actually a missionary with an organization, Transworld Radio Broadcasting, in Guam to Northeast and Southeast Asia, but volunteered with the Salvation Army when the planes brought these groups of Kurdish evacuees to the island, kind of the first stop point, and uh, remember greeting them. I just remember one lady, I'll never forget this, Adam, as she got off the plane and the tears were streaming down her face, she grabbed the hand of one of the female workers and she just kept kissing this lady's hand. Tears were falling down. They had fled and left everything behind. Right. Here they are in this new world, in the new place, and for a Christian to welcome them, to give them cups of water, which we did. Now, I didn't speak Arabic. That's right. Yeah. But I was just there to pass out water and play with the kids and you know right. welcome them into our country. And scripturally, you don't really ever see Jesus become... You do, at a few instances, they're typically very intentional, where he becomes confrontational. But for the most part, Jesus is very loving and patient and kind with your average person that he meets. Even the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well in John 4, he's very loving and very patient and very kind and answering her questions. And as she gets distracted and wants to argue about religious things and socioeconomic, political, social issues of the time, Jesus lovingly redirects the conversation back to him. And she realizes who he is in the conversation and goes back and gets her village. And it says at the end of that encounter, the people of the village said, We don't believe because of your testimony anymore. We believe because we've seen him for ourselves. And that's the goal, right, to become peacemakers, right, not to get out and argue 
with people, who's right and who's wrong. Jesus didn't do that. But to show them Jesus, to show them the kingdom, that's been paradigm changing. We've always been, I've got to convert them. I've got to get them to agree that I'm right. I've got to get them into a church. I've got to get them to, in some instances, change their name because they've been given a Muslim name. And I've got to get them to agree with this and start coming here on Sunday and essentially change everything about them, who they are, who they hang out with, all of their culture. And that doesn't give them access to any of their family, friends, or relationships anymore, but to lovingly just participate in life with them yes, and just find that common ground that we all have and really to realize as a Christian, demons aren't going to jump out of the pages of the Quran, but it's actually a very biblical idea that I should know and understand the culture and the religions of my country and my nation and the people that live around me. It's something that Paul did, right? You can look at the stories in I believe it's Acts chapter 13 and 17. There's very two different but similar interactions. He speaks about the unknown God. Correct. So I believe it's 13, Paul goes into a synagogue, and he interacts with the people that are there, Jews of the time, and he intentionally engages them in a way that they would understand. He tells them the story of their holy books, right, the Torah, Genesis, right, all the way to John the Baptist right. and Jesus yes. yep. and explains yep. to them some of the prophets who had come before and they understand. He goes into a different city, a non-believing city. He doesn't use the same method, but he uses a completely different method. He walks around the city. It says that he notices some statues with an inscription to an unknown God. And there's a story about what they believe that that statue was, but he doesn't say, y'all are going to hell. You're worshiping the wrong God. He doesn't say that. He actually compliments them. He complimented the Jews as well. He found the common ground, right, the jumping off point. And then he compliments the non-believers as well. He says, I see that you all are very religious. I respect that essentially is what he's saying. But let me tell you about potentially this unknown God. And he proceeds to explain who Jesus is. What a great example, something that we should follow, Adam. I understand that you are working with the Franklin Graham Organization, Samaritan's Purse, on a project to support Afghanistan refugees that are coming to the United States with the local church. Am I confusing a couple projects here? Yes, to answer your question. We are participants in some of the Graham Foundation. So Samaritan's Purse has an additional project that they do called Operation Healer Patriots. And we're participants with that. And I'm in early discussion with them on what potentially helping with Afghan refugees looks like. Right now, we're doing the work as independent missionaries. We're not necessarily affiliated right right now. And that's something that I know those listening when their local churches can go to the website, Samaritan's Purse, probably and learn something about opportunities, how your church could connect with Samaritan's Purse in support of Afghan refugees. They can, and uh, I believe churches can go and sign up. Samaritan's Purse is one. There's many other platforms, I'm sure, locally where Samaritan's Purse is, uh, I believe, offering to connect local churches on how they can participate. World Relief here in Memphis, they are actually engaging Afghan refugees here in our city, and so people can connect with them also. Uh, I want to go back as you were talking about the practicality of sharing, just the being real with people. 
Part of the weekend that you just encountered of this four-day conference, you broke up into groups and went out to dinner. That's right. Can you share that experience? I think it's a beautiful example of what we're talking about. I would love to. Now, keep in mind, not everyone at the conference has lived and worked in the Middle East, knows and understands the culture. So the, the training was very much an educational process for me, but for a lot of people who might not have that background and experience. So sharing faith cross-culturally was new and unique for a lot of folks. And I had not necessarily had this very specific interaction before, but everybody had kind of gone to some restaurants here locally where we believe that they were either international business owners or where they would employ international folks. Uh, And we had been praying, you know, we had known that we were going to do this. Uh, We've been praying for those interactions and who we would come in contact with. And one of the things that has been common across Muslims across the world is that many Muslims, they're not hearing the gospel necessarily, but they're experiencing dreams and visions. And then they're hearing the gospel. Then they're seeking and pursuing truth for themselves. Specifically, the common dream has been a man in white, bright, dazzling clothing, right, who either reveals himself over time or immediately as being the risen Christ, which is pretty incredible. So this is just common. This is, has been a common dream. We're hearing news reports about this. Right. You know, again, one of those things that's outside the box of, right. of the American church, yep. but we need to lean into this right. and see this as an opportunity as they have these experiences that we are there to point to Christ in that loving way. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, No, that's fine. Americans tend to be very intellectual in their faith, which is great, but don't forget that he's a very supernatural God. He's holy and good, Yes, right? And he does things in a non-standard way that we would sometimes maybe not choose. So you have this encounter with a waitress. Right. So we get there. She introduces herself. I'm the first one there. And very, um, her English is perfect doesn't have a, a traditional Muslim name. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm, I might not even get to practice my Arabic, let alone she might even be, you know, Christian. I don't, I don't know. Um, could have potentially even been my sister, you know, family member. But over conversation, we learned that she is from the Middle East. Her family has been here for a while and successful businessman, but they're practicing Muslims in their faith. And we had told them, hey, we're we're going to pray for our meal when the food comes out. Can you be here? We want to pray a blessing for you and your family too. She loved that. She started tearing up right then just by us offering prayer. She said, nobody's ever done that before for me. I've had interactions with Americans who look like me and talk like me who are not in the church who have had that same response. So I just want to maybe challenge the listeners, what are we doing, right? Most of us you know, pray for our meals when we go out to restaurants anyway. Just offer to pray for the the manager or the the owner or, you know, your waitress, right? Who knows what kind of – it's going to meet that need. Just ask them what you can pray for, what blessing. So, you know, we pray and, you know, she's coming and going. We have a a party there. It could have been pretty intimidating for her, but we were being very loving and just asking her questions. Uh, You know, explain to her, you know, kind of, hey, the conference is about Christians learning to understand Muslims. Open another door. Now she wants to help us, right, learn. So she's explaining her, you know, her faith background and her journey and becoming and learning how to practice. And uh, one of the gentlemen said, hey, something we're learning is that there's been a common dream that Muslims have been having. And it describes the dream of the man dressed in white. 
do you know anyone or have you experienced this? Without missing a beat, she says, yes, my sister. My sister has had this dream and she's told me all about it. We were all just like very impressed. We were all, I know I was praying. I'm like, what, you know, Lord, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? I haven't directly experienced, I've heard about this, but not directly experienced it. And she goes on to explain the dream and, and we were all, you know, jaws dropped a little bit like, well, what did he do? What did he say? You know? What, you know, asking it to, yeah, yeah, yeah. now, now we're on her hook yeah. and, you know, she's telling us a, about Jesus and she doesn't even know it. And she said he was just reaching out and calling her. And that was it. That was the dream. And she was very excited about the dream. Her sister was very excited about the dream. And we explained to her, we said, well, did you know that the gospels, keep in mind, she knows that she's supposed to read the Quran, but also the gospels, right? She's not right. really practicing, which a lot of Christians aren't practicing not reading their Bibles either. So she doesn't know a lot of this. So we said, did you know that the Quran says to read the Bible and that the Bible describes this man as being Jesus? And she's like, oh, my goodness. So they, they revere Jesus. Keep in mind, Muslims revere Jesus. They don't know who he is. They yes. don't know his identity. Yes. So she's just really interested. She's like, I didn't know this. And this continues the conversation. Eventually, she ends up you know, finishing with her other tables, her other guests leave and she just pulls up a, a chair and finishes dinner with us. You get a new friend. Right. <laughs> right. See, what a great example, Adam, of how we as followers of Jesus Christ can engage people with the gospel. Those divine appointments you were surprised by, but you weren't surprised by. Right. Because you had prayed and God had answered your prayer. As the word says, the fields are ripe into harvest. Mm-hmm. And yet, where are the laborers? I'm guilty, too, my brother, failing so many times not Mm -hmm. to take advantage of those opportunities. This has been great. Adam, thank you so much for sharing your passion and your heart for sharing Jesus in such practical, loving ways. If folks want to know more information, is there a way they can contact you? Right. So they can reach out. I think I'm the only Adam on the website, but City Church is the name of the church, right? So it would be citychurch.network, and that's going to take you to the website, and there there should be a tab on there. Folks can reach out and, and contact us. Fantastic. Well, this is all the time we have. You're going to have to come back. we got to do more shows and talk more about uh, your journeys. I'd love to hear more of your story. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.